podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. In times of need, this is what most insurance sounds like. What's your policy number? But insurance with AAA sounds like this. Is everyone okay? See the difference at AAA.com slash insurance. The Celtic Exchange, a fresh insight on Celtic Football Club. This is the Celtic Exchange Weekly, this is Tino and this week I'm joined by my fan James as we cover all things Celtic. Celtic made their way into the League Cup final at the weekend after a hard-fought win at a ringing wet Hamden and can now look forward to returning to the National Stadium next month to defend the trophy. James, a decent cup tie on Saturday but most importantly Celtic are now in the final. What's been your moment of the week? Moment of the week, uh, it's got to be Jack Amakis getting the one that settled a bit of nerves, albeit you know just right at right at the death. Because I think it still just you know took the sting at the tail. Um, partly because it might be sign off, and there's been a bit of debate knocking about with Jack Amakis and a lot of rewriting of history. No Jack Amakis last year, no title. That's that's how I think about it. So if he goes, then that's just the way it is. That's football. He'll be replaced. But he'll go with my very best wishes. He absolutely loves getting the tap after, doesn't he? <laughs> it's like, give me your book and see you never. <laughs> he, um, the story before the game was that he was already in Japan getting a medical, <laughs> yet somehow appeared in Mount Florida as well. Um, Miff, do you think that's his parting gift to Celtic? It appears so based on the, the stories that are coming out today, um, albeit that there seems to have been a, a lot of reports around him almost finalising four or five different moves. Very, very telling that Ange made some pointed remarks about the Celtic transfer speculation in general that he's obviously basically reading a lot of mints um, in terms of the reports that are getting churned out and it just feeds into that theory that I don't think anybody really does know what's going on at Celtic Park these days it, you, you know, As you we, want. It, it will be fed out when we want it to be fed out um, it may be that the new agent that Giacomacchus has appointed is, is behind these you know, stories that everything's so close, you know, it was Sampdoria Atalanta then it was Atalanta then it was um, Eurowa as well so what are you meant to believe all I will say is it's it's commendable that he's you know come on and and, and done the business and a a big game for us I I like him I would like him to stay if anything if you listen back to you know episodes in in the past if you're of that persuasion then you'll hear me saying that I think we actually need another striker in addition to Kyogon Giacomacchus so I, I, I think there's a place for him I'd love him to stay that's not just because he's he scored the, the, the clinching goal if you want to call that in a, in a semi-final James refers to last season I, I think there's enough evidence there to say that he'd be a major asset if he stayed Yeah I think so as well If he does go James do we then need two strikers to miss point? I'm a miff I've said more for long we needed a striker anyway um, I thought we needed a young striker um, now it looks like we need a, a senior and a junior you know someone that's going to come in about 20 years old someone maybe about 23, 24 with a bit of track record yeah they're both needed definitely yeah interesting so we'll see what happens with Jacko but as Miff was saying there it looks like he's going to Japan now so the chat was all about Sampdoria done deal it now seems to be that he's going to Urawa Red Diamonds if, I've, yeah. if I'm getting that right uh, and a deal worth around about 4 million which is also a bit puzzling that, that is puzzling I get his age and stuff like that but see if you're some championship struggler and you know, you might be going down you know, further and you send a Jack Max, he's going to get you goals. So you spend five or six million on him this window, he'll keep you in a position, maybe push you up into playoff spots, stuff like that. I think he's a real talent and to go for as low as that, the only part I'm relaxed about is if Celtic are okay with those numbers, they've got something lined up. 
it would seem to be the case. So we're now heading into the second half of January, so we'll see what happens with Jack Marcus and others over the next couple of weeks. Matt, I know the real moment of the week has been your mum turning 80 last week. So first of all, a very happy birthday to Megs from all of us here at the show. That aside, what's been your other moment of the week? Well, my other moment of the week was Dyson, my disallowed goal, the reason being that... Um, I watched the game, saw Maeda's effort hit the net and then had to leave for the, the party, for the set-up and the organisation. Um, so I left the house quite calm, Boy, relaxed, yeah. ready to party, you know. Um, go down to the hall, started putting things out, bones out and that, so I thought, check, just see how things are going, only to read that it was 1-0. <laughs> <laughs> well, like two minutes to go and I'm going, what the <laughs> hell's going on here? Subsequently then there's a picture taken, you know, all, all kind of together and I'm like, <laughs> in the picture for those just listening it's a face like fizz um, so aye um, but I think not just on that point I think Dyson Maeda as a as a player um, you know I, I think just his performance on Saturday night but, but also just his contribution since coming back for the World Cup it's just so noteworthy and again I'm just absolutely much like my adoration of Greg Taylor, I, I seem to be gaining similar for Dyson Maeda, just because I, when somebody gets a bit of stick, everybody wants a Celtic player to do well, you know, I, I think currently Burnaby seems to be a, a whipping boy from, from everybody, and, and, and whilst his performances have been patchy, you still need to remember he's, he's still trying to settle in. I think with Maeda, Maeda would fall into that bracket, he, he was a bit hit and miss for a while, albeit they were still contributing. Um I think now you're just seeing a wee bit more consistency from him. You're just seeing what Ange has seen all along. And I'm, I'm just delighted that he's having the impact that he's having on games now. He's clearly just a, one of those classic confidence players, James. <clears throat> and he's, his goal, inverted commas, the one that got chopped off. It was a real confident finish. And it kind of just summed up where he's at at this moment in his Celtic career. That's what I was going to say. I mean, the, the, the finish is starting the end of a confident player. You know, when you're feeling a wee bit you know, under pressure or whatever, you maybe try too hard, you maybe don't connect right. That's just a guy who's loving his football and we're getting the benefits. Yeah. Was your mum annoyed at having to miss the second half to go to her own party? She was, but um, aye. She, she um, actually, my mum's quite funny, she won't really watch the games until she would switch it over when it was 3-0 to Celtic with like two <laughs> minutes injury time left. That's when my mum sits down and relaxes and goes, oh, brilliant. She, she doesn't like the she doesn't like the drama. The nerves. But, no, she doesn't like the drama. Bit of a glory hunter? A, a wee bit, aye. Wee bit. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, okay, so let's take a look at what's coming up on this week's show. First up, it's the big debate as we take a closer look at Scottish football with a spotlight very much on the powers that be after some recent failures. Speaking of failures, we then go to this week's mystery sell as the lads look to shake oh. off Snyder, oh. look to shake off last week's defeat oh. and get back to winning ways with their it's mystery XL. Oh. We'll then move on to our listeners' question for the week with an enjoyable question for us to get stuck into. And finally, we'll finish the show by highlighting something which we think you'll enjoy from this week in Celtic media. Okay, so to get us started this week, our big debate centres on some of the haphazard stuff we're seeing at the very top of the Scottish game just now. And the question for today is this. As Scottish football stumbles from one embarrassment to the next between the shambolic introduction of VAR, a pitch at Hamden looking like it's just hosted the Rugby World Cup, and with the Scottish Cup now in its third year without a sponsor, is it time for radical change at the top of our game, not just for Celtic's sake, but for every club in Scottish football? Muff, your initial response to that question. Um, I think that there's well, there, there, there's various things to to be levied at the 
the powers that be. I think the the state, for wanting a better word, of Hamden and that that doesn't just fall down to the state of the pitch. It's the capacity of the stadium, the layout of the stadium, the location of the stadium and what's around it, you know, distinct lack of significant transport links um, to and from Scotland's national stadium, distinct lack of any sort of pre-match entertainment around it, you know, it, it, just everything about it is poor, really poor. And the, the sponsorship, the FA Cup, Scottish FA Cup, um, is that that really stands out and I think that comes down to just how we have sold and marketed our game up to this point or up to the point where we needed sponsorship is that we we, we just haven't packaged things well we haven't packaged things correctly um, we've became subservient to a really poor TV deal which is then impacting on fans that's fans of any club who, who wants to go and see their club playing at 12 o'clock on a Sunday Afternoon, I can't. I can't think many people do. You want your kickoffs later so you can enjoy your day. It's just for me, where we are is is unsatisfactory. Um, in terms of our, James called it very early in the piece. We, we went for the budget version. We're getting the budget version, but what it ha- what it has exposed is is just the the willingness for, for officials to, to step back and not really make any meaningful decisions um, and then of course we've got we've been impacted by the fact that the technology has failed at, at, at different times um, none more so than, than on Sunday so um, yeah for, for me it, it just feels like it's almost like a mentality or it's just we Scotland and we're happy just for things to be a bit of a riot you know, we we don't seem to strive for any sort of excellence or, you know, we go for the budget version of our, we implement it like it is a budget version and we get budget results. Yeah. James, I was going to say, our show obviously comes at things, you know, very generally with a, a focus on Celtic, but as Miff alluded to there, this question today applies to Celtic and every other club in Scotland who are looking to grow and, and to make progress. Absolutely. And you see more ambition um, from clubs down the tiers than you do from the SFA or the SPFL themselves. Guys who want to do things right, you know, within our small, say it's a you know, climbing club, sit within our small stature, our growth, for example, kind of thing, they're like, we're going to make hospitality good, we're going to make it a good experience, we're going to have a good youth programme, we're going to have a good community programme. They're doing more to pr- promote excellence than the SFA and the SPFL are at their side of things. We spoke a bit long in this show about what are we trying to sell here? What's the product we're trying to sell? You know, to, to the world. You know, Scottish football, known the world over as, you know, one of the oldest you know, clubs, teams, tournaments, all that stuff. Some great teams over the years. And there's nothing. All it seems to be is self-interest. Can you keep a cosy wee corner and have, you know, control and power? I would gut the whole lot and I would professionalise it. I mean, did the FA not go through this in the early 90s where they became a limited company and stuff like that as opposed to what the SFA has done and said you know we're just going to be bowling club conveners from now until eternity because it's good for me it's cosy yeah you've maybe given me your concluding answer too early in the piece maybe you should have held that back but we'll, we'll get to that we'll I think that would be pretty obvious <laughs> from my, <laughs> my position um, but yeah you know there, there must be frustrations you mentioned our growth there actually was at hospitality our growth last year there are a pal of ours that plays at our growth and 
they're really they're putting such a huge effort into it in terms of the community they're tapping into the fact there was a bit of a buzz about the place last year Miffs from Motherwell and Motherwell are a club who absolutely tap into the community side of things but it must be so frustrating for these various clubs and they must feel like they're hitting their head off a brick wall at times when it's not reflected from the, the national body what we'll do we'll split the debate on the three pieces here so we'll look at the you know the three main topics I've mentioned being VAR the condition of the pitch and also the lack of sponsorship for the, the flagship trophy so in terms of VAR I think there's three shockers from this weekend alone, right? We don't need to go back and look at the, the various historical ones, which we've obviously spent some time on. But just from this week, weekend alone, uh, in those semi-finals, VAR going down for five minutes during extra time in a national semi-final, no communication between the VAR room at Clydesdale House and Nick Walsh on the pitch. That is farcical. That is error 1.1. And you mentioned, James, like... You must have a, a fail-safe, a fallback in that eventuality. It's a, I used to work in tech sales for about 12 years and any solution I sold, if it was mission critical and, you know, if you talk about a national semi-final, that's mission critical to the, to the SFAs, the SPFLs, mission. And there's no failover. There absolutely has to be a failover sold with it. You saw the five guys when they were, and there's five guys as well with zero diversity, five guys crowded around a wee telly, not a clue. It's like, I thought you were in charge of this. Are you not in charge of this? Not a clue. There's no manual, no systems, no processes. The way they've implemented it, even if it's the cheap version, the way they've put it in without systems and processes for a professional organisation, an embarrassment. Yeah. When Nick Walsh went to the, the kind of tunnel area where the, the screen is and was looking for a bit of support, support was nearly to be seen. <laughs> no. They were all looking for fibers <laughs> and checking the deck and looking at their text messages. Nobody was able to help. I thought he handled it very well, I've got to say. I, I, think I thought so. he remained yeah, calm in the, the heat at the moment. Mission critical, not a term I've heard on the, the show so far, so we'll chalk that one down. James has got a, a, a long Treasure history, stuff. long history, producing <laughs> one-offs on the show. Yeah, it certainly has. Um, so that's the first of three shockers from the weekend. That's a huge one, of course. The second one is the decision to not even look at Ryan Kent's clash with Liam Scales. What was your viewpoint on that, Matthew? You'll have seen it, I'm sure, you know, whether it's clips or at the time. But Well, I'm a big fan of boxing, so I did appreciate it. It was um, quite quite a well-delivered right hook. Why did it was the left. I think it's the left. It's a one-two. It's a one-two. It does, it's a one-two, yeah. Well, he has got history, to be fair, Kenny boy. Why does that not go to a call, though? I, 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 I can see why Nick Walsh hasn't seen it. You know, he's following the... I said, it, the looks like a, it looks like a... Somebody on the screen must see that and call him in. The very fact that he was just dizzy on the turf and gets up holding his jaw and he's kind of saying that if he's hit me there, even if VAR has missed it, because they were, maybe they were looking for fivers and checking their text, but once they've seen scale to that, they go, run that back a wee minute. Oh, aye. But they've just ignored it. Yeah. So that's decision number two. And decision number three, and if I've been really honest, it's gone Celtic's way, so it was a decision not to look at the potential penalty. Round about the 93rd minute is Jack Amakis bundled over Joe Wright in the penalty area. Penalty for you, Miff? Yes. James? Yes, but. Yes, but. Yes, but Carl Vickers is getting pulled down at a uh, corner in the first half, so. What, what about today they call that, James? It's a I, game of 90 minutes, so if you're going to give that, I, you need to give that. No, no, I, t- I take that. I take that. I mean, it's. It's clumsy, and I don't think it's an absolute stonewall penalty, but your metric on these things is if that happens at the other end. But yeah. again, if it happens at the other end, I don't think we get either. I, I would say one thing, there was a lot of conspiracy with Greg Aiken on VAR, mostly started by me, to be yeah, fair. Yeah, you were the instigator. Um, but if he is anti-Celtic, as, as the, the kind of chat was, then he's given that, right? So if it proves one thing or suggests one thing, is that he's not looking to do Celtic down because if I'm a Celtic fan, someone's daft enough to give me VAR controls and that's... Uh, 
Aberdeen against Rangers and it's in the last minute and Aberdeen maybe get a penalty. I'm giving that. I have it on good authority from the guy that sits next to me at the game that Greg Aitken's actually a Kilmarnock fan. Uh, like, like, and obviously we were playing Kilmarnock but what I'm saying is he's, not a, he's not a Rangers fan. Anyway, he's, I, he's not a Rangers fan, he's a fan of the team we were playing. Aye, I, I know that doesn't do my argument any good but even better. It's, um, it was just, a, it fell into the seen them given category and then some doesn't it so yeah. I think we've got away with one there so oh, I, mean, I mean that's three shocking decisions from the weekend alone you can also look at the ridiculous decision to send off Anthony Stewart for a a very light, <laughs> a, a light <laughs> challenge uh, on Fashion Sakala what was he thinking just, with that just, challenge just two big guys going for the ball wasn't it uh, it was madness uh, one of the worst challenges I've seen I mean just just watching it and I just went oh he's off straight away no no doubts about it I heard or I read that Graham Shinney was trying to defend it saying oh, I thought it might have been a yellow um, but he's in the 80s he blittered in him <laughs> <laughs> it was what 90 something minute in a game where him and his teammates put so much into the game and it cut to Jim Goodwin at the time and I think he was rolling eyes thinking well what are you doing to me he's the captain I thought it was a, a mad I, decision. I, I thought he get sorry, my, I, I thought he get caught up in the in the tempo of it all. Um, McCrory get booked for a fairly heavy challenge. Barisic get booked. Could have been a sending off, scissor challenge, round about the knees. Very very poor challenge. And I think Stewart's went to try and kind of dominate that 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 enforcer, side of the game. Enforcer Aye, type kind of a, and he's got it all wrong. He, he played innocence after he was like, like what? I, I, Red? Are you kidding me? Aye. A day. File that under the soonest category, that one. Aye, it was assault. Anyway, that aside, so, I mean, going back to the, the bigger picture with VAR, so there was such a, a big rush to introduce VAR mid-season, which in itself is just absolutely ludicrous. I don't know why that was even part of the suggestion. We'd have been ticking along just fine just now with it, you know, being implemented for next season. So why we rushed it, I don't know. First, it was going to be post-World Cup, and then we instead went for mid-October, so we've rushed it even further. But regardless of that, it's clear that whether it's the technology, the training, the personnel, Scottish football clearly wasn't and isn't ready to apply VAR at this moment in time. Uh, only because of their own incompetence. You know, Scottish football's ready for it. The reason they're bringing it in early is because they're embarrassed that none of the refs were at uh, the World Cup, or were going to be the World Cup that was upcoming. So they want to get them in so they can put themselves down for... Euros next year, um, 2023. Uh, so they needed to show a wee bit of that. But that's, again, it, it just strikes of self-interest. They didn't think, is this right for the game right now? I was very much a fan of it coming in, but at the start of the season, not midway through the season, you just, you don't have a level competition by doing that. You know, you saw in the game yesterday, a decision in the 90 minutes and a decision in the first 10 minutes of extra time Two, two of the identical incidents could have got you two different results there within one game and that's a microcosm of Scottish football bringing in VAR in during the season. Yeah. Apart from the madness of bringing something in midway, I think there seems to be a lack of um, some of the technology being available. So obviously we've got the, the mics going down with Nick Walsh. There's something wrong there. Somebody's not, I don't know, bought the right piece of kit or whatever's happened there. They We've spoken jokingly a few times about... <laughs> Just a box of karaoke mics. <laughs> Couple of walkie-talkies. Speaking of the karaoke mics. <laughs> that you, Nick? Um, <laughs> you've got the... We've spoken about the camera angle from Jota's goal against uh, Motherwell at Fur Park. We've laughed a lot, Miff, about how you know, your mum took that photo from her tower, which is, I don't so know, half a mile down the road. Wasn't it, wasn't it for that? Um, but it remains a mystery why we, we've not seen a proper angle of that. So does, does Motherwell as a club, as an example, not have the required kit to apply it? 
And some, you know, stadiums don't even have big screens. So you're obviously sitting in, we've all experienced it, you know, being at games recently from a fan point of view, it's fine when you're watching on telly and you can get a, a bit of commentary and all oh, this is happening, that's happening. And the, the, the graphic comes up on the screen to say Varchek. If you're at, I don't know, Tanadice, if they get screens, I don't think so. You've no idea what's going on. You're just sitting there twiddling your thumbs for two, three minutes in the cold. And that's just not a good experience, is it? No, it's not. And, and you know, I don't think I've been to any away games where it's been on for part of the League Cup I don't think it was in by then um, but certainly even at Celtic Park it's not it's not particularly enjoyable you're kind of celebrating but then you're holding back to see oh wait they'll be, they'll be checking for something and uh, in terms of the fan experience for the, the spontaneity when you're at the game it, it doesn't help at all but the football you can argue I mean you only see it the weekend down south uh, with a Manchester United goal, uh, Bruno Fernandes goal, that that is completely down to subjectivity and uh, one one maybe two people's opinion on that day. That happens at another game when another set of refs they may become a different decision. It happens in Scotland, same again. So it's that inconsistency that just kills people. Where they say, you know. How come that stood? That goal stood, but that goal last week never. That's the nature of football: is that it does. There is an element of subjectivity, and well, that exists. It then kind of means that VAR probably isn't as well suited to football as it would be, say, rugby or tennis, tennis or, or whatever else yeah. it is. But Angie makes the point that you know that subjectivity can be the difference between relegation and promotion for mm. teams. And that's millions of pounds, you know, it could be a Champions League place, who knows what. It's exactly one of my points, James. There's literally millions of pounds at stake in terms of European qualification or potentially relegation for a team. So you might go down and it might be the difference between staying in and out of business, you know, such mm -hmm. are the fine margins in Scottish football just now, or having to go part-time and it could have a, a huge bearing across the board. And People lose their jobs when that happens. Mm -hmm. Look at what happened with Sheffield United. They, they get relegated with, with the goal the fan, well, was, the goal was awarded Aston Villa, or, sorry, Goal wasn't awarded Aston Villa keeper carried the ball over the line. The Hawkeye Technology field played on, you know, and, and then I think they ended up going down by a point over Villa. It was a, yeah. some scenario. And as James says, there were a whole host of folk that lost their job at Sheffield United, probably local folk who love the club. Sorry, we're going to need to let you go. So, you know, it's not just us being flippant and talking about football and opinions. There's more to it than that, and it's, it's affecting people in different ways. I'm going to look here. So speaking ahead of VAR at the time, back in October, um, Ian Maxwell came out and, you know, hit the hit the media and, you know, various press conferences and spoke about all the positive things, but in my mind made a real mess of, you know, the communication in general. So here's what he said at the time. They're going through the testing process. They've done pretty much all the stadiums and they're testing the connectivity and the software, not necessarily the match officials. It's about whether the guys in the VAR centre can speak to the referee and everything works. That seems to have been going okay. We'll see. We'll see. Right? Uh, take that quote out, but that's what he said, we'll see. Uh, let's just see how it goes. We need to do it right, due to the profile and because of the interest it's going to get, we need to be as ready as everyone can be. Now everyone I speak to at UEFA tells me that the first three months are going to be horrendous. I think horrendous is being kind, James. It's been worse than that. It's a product launch. Sell me the product. Is it any good? No, it's shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Sell me the dream. Just and that, that's a, and this is what I don't get about guys like that that get jobs as CEOs. You know, chief executive operations. You know, he, he's in charge of the whole shebang, and he talks like that. 
It's just embarrassing. Well, the, the language is one thing, but the point is that since that, has MD really come out and got a grip here? That that that's my biggest. There's been so many contentious decisions. Um, the, the leadership seem to have just kind of blended into the Aye. background a wee bit Cowed. and just went, oh, there you go, lads. So, given that we don't have a uh, referees able to come out and justify their decisions, I think Kenny Clark's went on a wee mini tour and went, ah, oh, well, it's just kind of down to the ref on the day. That that's pretty much been his. Get out of jail. It's no Crawford Allen said um, about Kyogo's goal. Well, it, that, that's what I mean. When you think about when a few borderline decisions went in our favour, you know they, they were doing the whole the whole tour round all the media outlets explaining, oh, you know, that, that we'd like to apologise to Robbie Nielsen and send him a nice hamper. You know, you're like, well, set, steady on there, lads. Aye, and the, we're going to retrospectively ban Roy Keane for five games for that throwing. Yeah, <laughs> well, that, that you know, it's, it, it was getting ridiculous. But this is where you need true leadership and I think even if, if we're being fair you know referees are human beings they will make mistakes of course they will they have been thrust front and centre of this and just left abandoned left to the lines and they themselves must be looking for a bit of leadership to say here come on lads guide us tell, come out you know handball rule right I mean that Hearts one eh, St Mirren one at the yep. weekend oh, jeez how I think it's GZ Peeps, man. GZ Peeps. Yeah, well, there's speaking na- of our broth. <laughs> well, well, there's no two It's a penalty. <laughs> so absolutely nailed on. Yeah, nailed on. And how MD can look at that one viewing, you see it. Oh, give, that looks like a penalty. Take. Ref can oh, miss that. Looks fine. Like a penalty. Second viewing, that's a definite penalty. Yeah. Nobody's done that. Th- that's the very point. You know, the the folk that are operating it are just getting left to all the criticism going. Whether it's uh, Nick Walsh or Willie Collum at the weekend or whoever's in the VAR room. And those that wanted to roll it out with a bit of fanfare, Ian Maxwell and Crawford Allen in early to mid-October, before any of the incidents, they have just slid into the background. So what's that, three months it's been on operation and they've not, it's been farcical. It, it, it's anybody assessing it, any neutral, anyone even out with Scotland having a look at this with neutral eyes would say, that's laughable at the moment, but nobody's coming out to defend it. And also it is leading to their referees inconsistently applying the rules. So rather than just letting it rumble on and rumble on and rumble on, you know, get a grip of the situation, come out, speak about it, at least give some sort of explanations to why decisions are being reached. And then it at least gives the fans something to go on. Yeah. The only problem is, with the people involved, based on the way that they've been speaking, they, they could even potentially make the situation worse. But I think, aye, anyway, as, as a fan... Don't think it can get worse. Aye, as, as a fan, I just think... You need somebody to come out and speak. That's, that's what you need. I think what you've got at the moment is it, it's become very unclear what is and isn't a penalty, yep. what is and isn't offside, and what is and isn't a red card. And yep. I think, you know, we are struggling with it, and I think the referees must be struggling, you know, just as much. It's so, we've watched football for about 40 odd years, and it's the first time I've ever not been sure of the rules, including when I was nine. Do you know what I mean? You don't really know what handball is, you don't really know what offside is. You know, that man you won for me on, on Saturdays. It's clearly offside, he's clearly interfering, but the law is that's not offside. I just, yeah. I, I, if you want to give, I don't know the, the topic is on getting stuck into them, but this has got to come back to FIFA and IFAB as well. D- does that then, just because I feel it's relevant, so the Rashford Fernandez incident for the Man United goal, for the, for the Hitati disallowed goal, he's Some, already standing. Wrote. In a, an offside position, but he's made no attempt to go for the ball. It's hit a Kilmarnock player off the hand, off the uh, off the hand as well. Mm-hmm. It's then changed direction, fell at Hattie, 
Is that a different phase of play? He puts the ball in the net. It is. It, it should be. And that, I just think it's so unclear. And this is where Ian Maxwell slash Crawford Allen should come out and say, here's what is and isn't apparently, and, and so on and so forth, and, and give that you know clear. Because see, seeing you've got cowardly incompetence in charge, they're not coming out. The, the, you look at the Fernandez and Rashford incident, then you look at what happened to Abadas goal Hearts. St. Johnson. against oh, Levy. 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 And also Hattatis as well. Again, it's another set of decisions where we've come out in the rough end. We've, we've had the negative uh, of the decision, but you see the positive being awarded elsewhere and it just makes you think, well, why is it? Yeah, it just a real lack of consistency across the board. Just to finish off on this piece, so Crawford Allen was also speaking at that time back in October, so he's obviously the SFA's head of referees. Rolling out a similar narrative to Maxwell at the time, he stated... In the goldfish ball of Scottish football, there's an expectancy that we should be getting more decisions right and we will get more right. That's not been proven. And then he also stated at the time back in October that all involved had just completed 10 months of training in VAR. 10 months? What were they doing in that 10 months, James? You wonder, you know, it might start 10 months ago and it finished last Saturday, but, you know, how many times did you did you meet up in that time? You know, the referees... More than anyone would have wanted to be intensely trained on this and be well aware of it. Because um, they carry the can. Absolutely. I mean, I think the solution is to let um, Ian Maxwell and Crawford Allen implement far in Argentina. See how they go on. I give it a try. It just seems that they've they've left them to the lines, as you say, Miff. I think they were playing solitaire. That's what they were doing. For 10 months 100% It's a great game um, Moving on from VAR um, And not to spend too much time On the pitch at Hamden But we've got to address it So I'm not trying to throw A groundskeeper Or anyone of that Nature under the bus You know far from it Again this is the ultimate Responsibility of someone Like Maxwell He's the chief exec And it's his job To make sure that The park is in pristine condition For the showpiece Semi-final weekend When all eyes are on it the heavy rainfall can explain something, but there's parks all across the country, all across the UK at this moment in time, which are in great condition and they're being played on every second week. Nobody plays at Hampton, right? Queen's 11th, Park. 11th, 11th of October, last game. Is that right? Who was that? The Scotland against Ireland women's. Right, okay. So you've got three months to get it right, or a couple of months at least to get it right, and it's shambolic. What what does that come down to? I'm not looking for your horticultural skills. No, I've seen, I've seen the come out and they were blaming the sub-zero temperatures pre-Christmas as, as a contributing factor Would they know if they undersell heating on to keep their I, I, ground right well, given you've got two big games coming I, up I was specifically not asked for my horticulture <laughs> um, opinion so I, I was just stating what, what kind of seeds are they using with? Uh, lightning seeds <laughs> See. um, so I, I, to be honest with you I, I don't really think there is much of an excuse um, Scottish weather is Scottish weather uh, what, what, what we've had is what we've always had breaking news bad and weather in Scotland I I mean I think if you look at Celtic Park you look at Ibrooks, they're not they're not in brilliant condition but they're not they're no they're not cutting up week. they're not cutting up the way that that, that was in, in Saturday I, I didn't see Sunday I, I didn't see the uh, the Rangers game I saw a few incidents on, on uh, Twitter videos and things like that but I didn't see did it, did it cut up just as badly I mean, it was already a mess to start with. That's was the thing. Joe, Joe Hart's described the pitch as horrendous, and Aye. I think all four managers now that have been involved at the weekend have criticised the pitch. But this is another media vacuum. So if the SFA, it's their showpiece stadium, for for right or wrong, wrong for me, but they've got a chance to come out in Monday and say, "Here's what happened. Here's what we're going to do next time. We do apologise for the how that impacted on on your the quality of the games." But it's like. No, I see if that goes away in three or four days and we'll just keep our mouth shut. 
an answer that did impact because players were they, they weren't playing the first time pass they would have played they're yep. being careful and I think Jim Goodwin also spoke about every time the ball went back to his goalie his heart was in his mouth bobbling. because it's it's all over the place you're looking for your you know a semi-final you know four of the better teams in the country for want of a better expression you would like to think that would make for a couple of really good games of football now they ended up quite exciting for different reasons mm-hmm. you know they ended up a bit kind of blood and thunder but in terms of quality football, not a lot to be seen across the weekend. No, but also when people are then watching those games, they say, oh, I always thought Scottish football was blood and thunder, and then they watch them and go, aye, it is. Mm. And it's not. It's not doing it any favours at all, but, you know, as you say, James, unless someone comes out and says, here's what happened, we apologise, here's how we'll fix it moving forward, we'll just be guessing about things like that. Um, and the final piece of this particular puzzle was the fact that the Scottish Cup remains sponsorless. So, according to the SFA's own website, the Scottish Cup is the oldest association football trophy in the world. They're rightfully proud of that. Why can nobody sell it, you know, in terms of, you know, some big hitter sponsorship-wise? It's now been three years since William Hill gave up their sponsorship in 2020. And just looking at the practical side of it, surely getting a, you know, a solid headline sponsor would bring an injection of money into the game, whether that's to help grassroots sides implementing VAR in a better way or, or anything else. There's a fail in there somewhere as well, Miff. Yeah, there is. And again, I think it goes back further than just recently. I, th- I think it's just the way our game's, our game's package. It throws open a whole range of different debates about where Scottish football sits. I think we, because we neighbour England, we still like to see ourselves as comparable when, when the reality is we just don't have enough strong teams to to kind of sell that now you could argue over the past few seasons that's been the biggest issue the Premier League's had because it's been pretty much dominated by Man City and Liverpool but I think that you, can, you see that's going to more than likely change it's been the, dominated by Man City and Liverpool the way that Scottish football is dominated by Celtic and Rangers that, that, that's what I mean but but more so the past few years other than that there, there was generally a, a, a kind of diversity as to who, who won the league Scottish football there was arguments that whether it should go move to summer Football, but I think I think moving it out of sync with the major leagues, I think that would make us even more of a backwater. Is that's just my personal opinion? I, I think that. I think it would be a more enjoyable experience as a fan <laughs> rather than sitting in sub zero temperatures and impacting yeah, European favor. stuff as well. Absolutely, but I, I think I think it would it would it would push us further back than it. Would. You're, you're admitting defeat there a wee bit. But, but I, yeah. League of Ireland is played on a Friday night, and I'm sure it's a lot of fun, but. They find themselves far, far lower down in the pecking order. Well, as a the, the, the argument, the argument behind that is purely just is, is the marketability of it being available during the summer when there maybe isn't a lot of football on, and you could potentially get a bit more revenue for your TV deal. With I see, I see why it, it's raised in in the debate, but but for me personally, I don't think you, I don't think you can. I, I think you need to try and stay on, on the calendar with the with the major leagues in in Europe. We we've undersold ourselves. Um, maybe part of that is the the over reliance in, in, in Celtic versus Rangers games. We can end up playing each other to six times a season. I think that takes away the prestige of the fixture. To be perfectly honest with you, um, what's the solution? Cut the professional clubs. You know, cut cut the leagues. Is, is it along those lines? But again, the mentality, like like James says, is more around self preservation and the the directors and the committees of all those smaller clubs are you know, they're on a relatively good thing in the in the wee roles that they've got. They they they, they ought to protect their local community. As is, I mean people listening to this that support smaller teams in the lower leagues will probably say oh, it's just a it's just a Celtic or Rangers fan telling us what, what we should and shouldn't be doing. But 
I just think I, I, contrary to the size of Scotland can we sustain the amount of professional teams we've got I think the honest answer is no and I think when you start trying to solve that problem I think if you cut the, the amount of teams that are in the leagues and improve the competitiveness in them then I think that goes a long way to making it a better product Yeah I, I, think, I think part of it, it going back to the structure every club within the structure has the same weight in terms of one vote you know, I know there'll be professional game boards and all these kind of things that other clubs will be more influential on when it comes down to the vote as we've seen in you know 12 years ago and stuff like that or 11 years ago um, it's, it's one vote per club so that means that the guy and I'd mean this in no disparaging way but a guy who's got you know a, a tiny club down the borders has the same sway as Celtic as far as that vote goes that doesn't make sense from a commercial point of view so you need to get to some point where you say, yeah, of course, we, we want the pyramid, we want to show you a route to getting there, but there's got to be a change in the product at the top to make it, I, I think you're right, you know, cut, cutting the amount of clubs that are in the, the top two divisions anyway, at least, so you've got maybe something more competitive there, maybe expanding the, 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 the SPFL itself. There, there must always be a route, there must always, always be a place for aspiration in sport. Yeah. And everyone's entering this, you know, the pyramid at the, the lowest level, you know, if someone's coming in, you know, Edinburgh City's in recently, Cove Rangers and stuff, great. they must at some point be able to say, at one point, we could potentially be in that top league. Queen's Park are going great guns just now yeah. since turning professional, for example. That must always exist in sport. But is there a way to make that exist, but maybe in a more competitive way? That's the big question. Yeah, well, that, that that's the, the problem that you're trying to solve. I mean, I agree with you on, on the pyramid. I think that that's the way things have to be. You have to have a route to the, to the top. Um what the answer is, though, is I genuinely don't know because if you, you say you expanded the the SPL and you only play Rangers twice, twice a year, or Celtic only play Rangers twice a year, but then you're left with, you know, maybe 14, 16 teams, whatever, and then you get your teams that are just kind of stuck in, in the mid-table that never really go anywhere, they've got nothing to play for, and I, I, I genuinely don't know what the answer is. I think in, in, in some way... Whatever we do has to benefit Scottish football as a whole. We look at it through a Celtic lens, obviously, but it has to benefit Scottish football as a whole. How are we going to produce better young players? Is it by the bigger teams having B teams within the league set up so that they're getting competitive action? Or is it just by cutting the amount of professional clubs and regionalising the lower leagues so that there's less of a financial strain on them travelling, you know, Annan travelling to Cove Rangers on a Wednesday night. That can't be good for MD. Mm -hmm. You know, it can't be good Just for MD. Your work. So, uh, is there a way you can regionalise the, the lower leagues, but still have the pyramid system in there, whereby, you know, the, the, the third league is when it becomes a national league and you need to be a professional team with a minimum criteria, otherwise you don't yeah. go up. Stadiums and up. then that means that the, the, the teams that do filter through the pyramid are more ready and robust to be able to compete. But also you would assume as part of that they would then have youth setups that would, would complement the work that they were doing. So that's just one thing. Um, you know, if, if you're listening, I'm available on a consultancy basis for um, <laughs> yeah. £25 an hour. But that, listen, just these these things are, are what should be getting debated. I, th I think, who was the last person that done a report? Henry McLeish. Yeah, they just bury it. He, you know, he did one, uh, was it Mark Vota did? Mark Vota as well, um, I, Somebody else did a, a youth one and they just went, I we don't like that, just bury that. I, I, the Mark Vota one was interesting. I remember seeing at the time, he came out with an eight-year plan. I thought, that's a great way to keep your job for eight years <laughs> because you, you don't need to show the results until... Not with the SFA. Towards the end. He moved on after a few, actually, but it was... 
it's just there's so many think tanks and you know consultations and and, and but suggestions, it, but nothing ever happens. But it's all it's all internal. It should n- none of what they do. They have not earned the right to mark their own homework. Scotland haven't been in the World Cup for twenty five years, and no one is saying maybe there's a problem with the structure of Scottish football. And I don't even necessarily mean league stuff. I mean Scottish Football Association is responsible for that for us not qualifying for twenty five years for a World Cup. Yeah, and it's just there's a couple of final points. We don't have time to debate these today, but that that's absolutely one, James. You're right. So. You know, we live in a country which is obsessed with football. Scotland is a football-mad country, yet we've not been at the World Cup for just short of 25 years, quarter of a century. Um, Croatia, a country of under 4 million of a population, they've made the last four in the last two World Cups. So, you know, just as a comparable, Scotland's 5.5 million, give or take. So, you know, you can't... There's some huge countries, you know, that that obviously always make the last stages. Why are Croatia doing so well? And, And we aren't. And the other thing you mentioned before, James, there's no Scottish referees at the World Cup, or there wasn't most likely due to their lack of experience with VAR and you know, even just from that side of the game we're falling behind and it just seems to be a, a position just now that if we don't address certain key matters now how far are we going to wait to fall behind before we realise that we're too far behind I mean just your very final thoughts James before we move on it, This is this isn't something that Scottish football should be kind of looking at its feet and saying oh we'll, we'll get around to it this is an acute problem that needs addressed starting now and it starts at the top um, the whole structure's got to go, professionalise it, make it a properly accountable commercial entity that has a mission, a vision, values as a company. Tell us where you're taking us. There's none of that. It's all just self-interest. I, I think that's it. C- come up with a vision, a plan, a strategy and tell us so that, so that the fans get invested in it. Fans of every, every club, you know, we're Scotland fans, so it's going to have an impact in Scotland as well. Even going back to, to grassroots, I don't know about yourself, I know you're involved in a uh, an amateur team but even at grassroots level the portal that you use in terms of registration for the kids and stuff that's you know it's, it's fairly clunky and, and cumbersome I, I, I just think we just need a revamp we need modernisation we need modernisation of the SFA and for us as a football nation just to have a vision a, a, I mean a goal to head towards the obvious goals getting qualified for the World Cup and to be fair in terms of the the, the, the players that have came through you know you can see now we've got, we've got players going abroad now that that type of thing where players have been fed through the system since they've moved for the at grassroots level anywhere we've got fours, fives, sevens, nines and elevens players like, like said Josh Doyle probably probably stands out you know they're, they're coming through they're going abroad players are now going down south as well Ben Dolkin down there recently seems to be playing Liverpool's first team so I think that part of it seem, seems to be picking up a wee bit of momentum I think the product on the pitch from the Scotland national team has vastly improved past few years but, but we have to support that as well We have to support that With the structure around about it as well To make sure It continues to happen And it's not just A one-off batch of players Coming through Yeah there's there's a real Bigger picture thing going on And you're right Muff You know Share the vision You know Bring people along In the journey with you And get people to buy into it And that's, that's maybe One of the only ways to do so It's an important debate Not just for Celtic But for the whole of Scottish football And Dramatic improvements Are required If we see improvements Across the board So hopefully We start to see Something of that nature In the coming weeks Months, years But you know, you're looking at years, aren't you? <laughs> Very probably. Okay, so moving on, let's move on to this week's Mystery Celt. An easy one for me last week, lads, uh, as you failed to get the first one of the year correct. I thought you'd have got it, I really did. So <sighs> I knew it when I got home. We'll recap it here in a second, but I was surprised that you failed, my Any Any excuse in your performance? Excuse? I, I became that obsessed with Charlie Nichols. Once I said his name, I could only think of that picture of him in his pants. <laughs> no. So it just, it, just it worked my head. 
Fair enough. Easy um, we'll, done. we'll post that picture on Twitter if anyone's not sure what one it is. Um, so here's a quick reminder of last week's clues for anyone who missed it. Clue number one, I've had two playing spells at Celtic. Clue number two, I won the Scottish PFA Player of the Year Award during my first spell at the club. And clue number three, I've got over 100 caps for my country, 111 to be exact, James. And the answer, of course, was Emilio Izagheri. He was originally signed by Neil Lennon in August 2010 and was at Celtic for seven years. Loads of folk replied on Twitter saying, I've got no recollection of him coming back for a second spell. Did he? So he came back uh, under Brendan Rodgers in August 2018. He was a bit of an emergency signer, wasn't he? Ah, he, yeah, he, he didn't a bit of do much at all. Um, but he won seven Scottish Premierships, three Scottish Cups and two League Cups overall, so a very successful Celtic player. Your thoughts, Miff, on Emilio's time at Celtic? Oh, loved him, loved him. And and came back from a horrendous injury in his, his first spell. He, he looked sensational to start when then, was it Aberdeen he broke his leg? Did he break his ankle or break his leg at Aberdeen? He was getting linked by Man United and all he sorts was, of yeah, things. And, and then he, he obviously... Wasn't he quite the same player after that, but was still really, really effective. A, a, a personal favourite of mine, I loved him. Same. Big fan, but we were talking about the way over tonight. I, I don't think he was half the player he was after his injury. I really don't think he came back from it at all. You know, and that, that, that can happen with players. It's a, a sad fact to the game. Um, but yeah, and it, you know, even when he wasn't as good, he was still a, a fan's favourite in terms of he was all, you know, he gave his all as much as he could. Part of that chat we were having, James, was about players who maybe don't quite come back from injury and, and you know, pack up in the form they were shown before the injury and he's a Gary falls in that bracket. Biram Kayal was another who was Lee McCulloch. around about a similar time. Yep. Lee McCulloch. Sorry, I think I've put Lee McCulloch up as an example. The example that put the Kyle in the game. Yep. And to bring it right up to current day, we're talking about David Turnbull. It's one for another day, Matt, and we'll, we'll debate it in some detail on a future show, but he kind of seems to be going back the way just now and you know, we've debated whether maybe his bigger injury has maybe just hampered him a wee bit. He did recover, of course, to play well in Neil Lennon's last season, but... It's a lot to take on psychologically. He's not he's not repeating that form, is he? I don't, I don't think he's had a huge amount of chance. He, he seems to have then picked up kind of niggle injuries after that as well. I think Turnbull... I've, I've just got a lot of belief in Turnbull as a player. I'm still hoping they still hoping they will come good. But as time as time goes on and you see the way that Ange wants his team to play, probably the thing that will hurt... Turnbull more than anything else is Arne Moy coming in and playing so well because that, that Arne Moy took his he's, place in the squad he's a better slower player uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway another debate for another day ok let's move on to this week's mystery sell so are you ready for the clues Miff you good to go clue number one I've got 47 caps for Scotland but I wasn't born here anything jumping out for you Miff no wait for it wait for ok clue number two I've played in the MLS and clue number three, I've got an FA Cup winner's medal. Who did he play in the MLS with? Nipty. So while the lads are having a wee think about that one, I want to remind everyone to head to our new website at theCelticExchange.com where you can access all of our podcasts, blog articles, videos and more. While you're there, you can also sign up for the Celtic Exchange Plus where this week we'll have additional pre and post-match podcasts for the games against St Mirren in the league on Wednesday and Morton in the Scottish Cup on Saturday. That's the sponsorless Scottish Cup, James, no less, Correct. as discussed. And you can also sign up for our free weekly newsletter while you're there. So visit theCelticExchange.com now for all things Celtic. Anything for me, Miff? What I've noticed the last few weeks is you just sit in silence during this section. You don't really pony up with any answers. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking it's... No, no, who did he play in the MLS? I can't yeah. think. I can't think. Yeah, didn't he? Did he know? No. You sure? I'm pretty sure. FA Cup winners medal. Any other names you want to throw at me? 47 caps for Scotland, not born here. Kieran Tierney? Born here. He's born in Isle of Man. Isle of Man. Oh, yep. 
It's no point in them at least. Um, dead air. We love it. We'll need to move on, lads. So, listen, it's, it's been a good attempt. Uh, happy to confirm that you have got the right answer, but that'll get beeped out for uh, for those at home. So the scoreline is now one each. If you think you know the answer to this week's Mystery Celt, remember to tweet us at Celt Exchange using the hashtag Mystery Celt. Okay, so let's now take a look at our listener's question, which this week comes from Stephen Murray in Uddingston. So our thanks to Stephen for sending this one in and for his ongoing support of the show. So the question is... Hey guys, it's Stephen Murray from Uddingston. I'm a really big fan of the show and my question for the panel and for everyone is following Alistair Johnston's really impressive debut at Ibrooks a couple of weeks ago, what have been your favourite Celtic debuts over the years? One that really sticks out for me is Big Pierre's at Hamden. But my favourite by far has to be Georges Cadet coming on against Aberdeen at a newly redeveloped Parkhead. The atmosphere that night was electric and so was he. I'll never forget it. And I would love to know how that compares to some of the other listeners' experiences of Celtic debuts. Thank you guys and keep up the great work. Yeah, so it's a great question from Stephen and it's a, a great example. The one, George Cadet really stands out for me and I think a lot of folk of our age. So it was George Cadet's long-awaited Celtic debut which took place at Celtic Park on the 1st of April 1996, nearly 27 years ago, where he came off the bench to dink the goalie to make it 5-0 on a wet, rainy, magical Monday night at Celtic Park. James, your thoughts on George Cadet, first of all, on that debut, your memories? Oh, never forget that. Was, and I'll give another example of what my favourite debut is, but that is right up there. I mean, it was just... So I, I remember I was in a, a pub on a Friday night and it was part of my dad said, oh, we're going to sign this guy, George Cadet. And then obviously Farry <laughs> got involved and it was ages and ages and ages. But we'd been waiting and waiting and waiting. So when you finally got him, and you're like, it better not be months. And then he comes out and does that and just blew the roof, yep. roof off. Aye, it was well, a, great player. It was an assist by Peter Grant, fan, fan right, and friend of the show, right, yeah, no yeah. less, on the night. Um, but you're right, Jim Farry held up the registration, I think for six weeks. And during that time, Tommy Burns Celtic drew three games, which they may... May have won. George Cadet is a striker, wins you those games. An absolute goal machine. And his first and his only sorry full season at Celtic, it was something like thirty two goals in thirty nine games. He was a hell of a striker, oh, Unreal. Unreal. What a team. What a team. Mm. Good memories there. Oh, I, I. So I'll come to you first, Muff. What's your own uh, to answer Stephen's question, your own favourite Celtic debut over well, the years? Well he, me- he mentioned two and, and Big Pierre's debut I was there that was in at Hamden. Um in the Hamden season, which for others I mean you just try and Put that, put that away with the back of your mind but um, what, what a goal he scored on his debut for me it was one that actually proved to be a, a major false dawn but as a favourite was Juninho against Rangers Juninho was outstanding that game um, but it was the only game he actually kicked a ball and he, 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 wasn't, he wasn't very good after that but um, he was absolutely outstanding gave Alex Ray the run around it was brilliant and James what about yourself what's been your favourite debut over the years I think I was, I was working a Saturday morning shift in a place where we all know well uh, Scottish Gas um, mustn't work in a morning shift other gas companies and are available they are <laughs> and uh, passes. I've got a couple of tickets myself and Paul McKenna went down to uh, Parkhead we'd heard about this guy Lubo Scottish papers are all oh this old guy's passed in blah 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 Hugh Keevans particularly aye I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm sure it was uh, Celtic Dundee at, at Parkhead and uh, he comes on you're like oh like immediately like this guy's got something really really special just the way he moved about the pitch the way he passed the ball the way he received the ball he struck a ball everything about him just showed absolute class so for his debut that that was the game but obviously you know very shortly after a couple weeks after that I think it was his two goals against Rangers as well so aye that would be my favourite Celtic debut Lebeau 
Yeah, the, the, the predecessor to Rio Hattati's two-goal debut against Rangers as well, but everyone will remember the, the amazing images and Lubo himself reflected that he didn't realise just what he'd done at the time. He just thought, I'll just stick a couple of goals away and see what happens. And the madness around him, you know, he was the calmest man in the, the stadium. I, I, I was I was one of the ones that was like, oh, we'll be doing signing this. So I think I called him a Slovakian dud before he'd kicked a ball. Man, I still get slagged for that to Quite this right. day. Quite right. like, what, what a player. What a player. Yeah. And it, I, I was at the game when he brought the ball down his rear end. Aye, oh, unreal. Yeah. Brilliant. There's a number of debuts, so obviously you can come up with any number of responses there in terms of, you know, what's been your favourite. Henrik Larson, Hibs. Henrik Larson. Oh. That, that was Chick Charlie's favourite Celtic <laughs> debut. Um, there's various goal-scoring debuts for Celtic, as you can imagine, over the years. There's some recent ones. So, Kyogo... On his full debut, scored against Jablonek in the Europa League qualifiers. Um, that was his first start for the club. He'd played off the bench against Hearts in that opening league game. But in his first start, he scored a goal. Scott Sinclair yeah, will all remember very yeah. well uh, come off the bench to score the winner against Hearts on the 7th of August 2016. And if I know you won't forget, Rami Gershon against Inverness on the 9th of February 2013. A day that'll live long in the memory ah, as the uh, lone scored his uh, maybe his only goal for Celtic. Do any others spring? I mean, I've got a list here from the Celtic Wiki, which is a brilliant site. Most Celtic fans will be well aware of the, the Celtic Wiki site, but there's a page on it detailing all the various goal-scoring debuts for Celtic over the years. Any that jump out? Any that, that you can recall? And when I, you know, when I mention uh, you, you'll be <clears> full of, oh, aye, that's Well, right. the, the one that I, recently that I remember, and you mentioned that the Sinclair one was just... You know, because that, that was Rogers' first league game. Yeah, it was special. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was amazing, absolutely amazing. You're playing for time. Just give me some <laughs> new ones. Let me think. Recent, recent history. Give us a couple of the less known. Yeah, I'll get you going. So, Georgia Samaras, who scored against Kilmarnock in a five-on-one. Yep. yep. The big kind of Maisie from the yep. right touchline. Yeah. Uh, Barry Robson, big, big oh, favourite. Oh. What a day that was! Oh, Robson, that, that was brilliant. That, that it was Petodre, wasn't it? Free yeah. kick, he just came off the bench and just stuck a free kick in. Exactly, five oh, one minute Petodre. Uh, James Forrest, way way back in 2010, scored in his first game for Celtic, four 0 against Motherwell. Then you've got guys like Gary Hooper, Chris Commons, Tony Watt. You know, all these guys over the years have, have scored their debut. Um, one that you might remember, James, just try to dig it out here from the archives. Ebenezer Owens uh, <laughs> scored on the 6th of December 1913 in a 3-0 win over Third Lanark. I was wanting the gas that day. What, what a game that was. <laughs> uh, Ebenezer Owens, whatever happened to it. Sorry, Owers, O-W-E-R-S, not even Owens. Um, how could I forget such a, a legend? But there's a, there's a whole list, but well worth che checking out in the Celtic wiki. Um, our thanks to Stephen, of course, for his question this week. And if you want to submit a question to us for discussion on any future shows, then you can get in touch with us via our social media channels or just email me directly on tino at thecelticexchange.com. Time for this week in Celtic Media. Each week here on the weekly show, one of the team will pick out something of interest that they've either watched, read or listened to that week in the world of Celtic Media that they then recommend to our listeners. This week, James has something for us. James, what have you got? So, somewhat similar to our show last week, I suppose, was um, Graham Spears' podcast. It, it, it does a really good podcast, Spears. It gets good guests on and it's a good wide open uh, debate. It's on Patreon. You can find these um, podcasts there. It's only like two quid a month, so even if you just wanted to dip, dip in and out, it's, it's well worth a wee look. The one he did last week it was uh, basically saying some, along the similar lines to ourselves, our Celtic being refereed to uh, the same standard as others. And you know, my comment on it was, yes, they are, but Rangers aren't. And it's it's kind of along the same lines. It's just the first time I've heard 
you know, Spears is a long-standing commentator in the Scottish game in terms of journalism, and the first the first time I've ever heard of anyone of that stature being quite open and introspective, and you know, really trying to come up with you know the reasons why, what went before, where are we at now, why are we still getting the same kind of things, what's the cultural hangover we've still got in Scotland that we can't have this. It ties to the SFA why we can't have this open professional centre of excellence. You know, it's, it's all these kind of things. Really, really good debate. He's got uh, Harry Brady and. Andrew Smith of the Scotsman on there, so good contributors yeah. as well. It's very interesting for someone outside the, the kind of Celtic lens to be asking this question. It's, it's it's all par for the course and expected for folk like yourself or any other Celtic publications to be asking these questions. But for Graham Spears, as you say, a long-standing journalist and well-respected journalist, writes for the, the Times, I think, at this moment in time. I think he still gets his column there, but he's he knows the game here and his original following as a young man was as a Rangers fan I think he's bending on that to an extent because he doesn't like a lot of the stuff goes on but he's asking the questions and, and it's refreshing to see that the the podcast in question so it's called the Press Box Podcast by Graham Spears and the episode title James is Scottish referees do Celtic get a raw deal uh, his guests are Andrew Smith of the Scotsman ex-editor of the Celtic View and Harry Brady who will be known to many Celtic fans on Twitter it's just short of an hour long anything else James Interesting that come out from or any interesting conclusions from either Spears or any of the guests? No, and I wouldn't say it was the the highest standard of debate where it tries to come to, to a conclusion. And in the end it got a wee bit of oh well, kind of what can we do, shrug his shoulders he and you know it's not their job to, to fix that, but it was a bit kind of it lost its thread a wee bit towards the end. But it was more the fact that that question is even asked on an open forum for two pounds a month. You know, it's, it's, I thought it was progress within itself. Yeah, and that's refreshing to see. So, as always, we'll link to this one in the show notes for the episode, but another interesting one to look at this week. Muff, another final for Celtic to look for to next month, and incredibly, we'll be looking to win our seventh League Cup out of the last nine when that one comes around. So, for now, your final thoughts for the week. Just delighted to be through. I know semi-finals, um, the most important thing about them is winning them. Um, we've done that, we've moved on. Uh, I think there's a lot of mitigating circumstances to why we didn't play our best football. But even at that, you know, very, very marginal, we could have the game well put to bed uh, before we did. But yeah, just glad glad, glad that we're through and the unstrained rolls on. It does that. James, another busy week coming up with St Mirren and Morton visiting Celtic Park in the coming days. The final word for this week goes to you. Yeah, just I suppose picking up on something I've said earlier on about devaluing the tie, playing them six times a year and stuff. I love it. I have to say, I can't wait for it. So that's coming up in, what, five weeks or so? Yeah, 26th um, of February. And I've got a long-standing policy, whatever they're playing, whoever they're playing, I want them to lose. So I wanted Aberdeen to win yesterday, but now delighted. Because I thought that the New Year game, there was obviously the you know the virus going through the camp and all that stuff. We were not quite at our best, but we still put up a, a good show in there. It's going to be a different team entirely. Very good. So one to look forward to at the end of next month. So that wraps things up for the latest episode of the Celtic Exchange Weekly. Thanks to James and Muff for joining me today and as always, our thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to visit our new website at theceltichexchange.com slash sign up where you can enjoy your additional podcasts before and after this week's Celtic games and you'll also find everything else there from podcasts, blogs, videos, social media and more. But in the meantime, from myself and the team, thanks for tuning in and we'll see you again this time next week.
Podcast Network.